Hi, and welcome to Herbology. I'm Anne. And I'm Kevin. And this is our episode number four, where we are going to be covering The Blade, which is from season one, episode number four. Written by James Hurst, directed by Paolo Barsman, and it aired on April 22nd, 2016. Kevin, are you ready to just talk for an hour about honesty, guilt, regret, choices and forgiveness, all very lighthearted <laughs> topics. And all a major part of this episode. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was like, how would I sum up this episode? <laughs> and that's yeah, we really got it. tons, tons of that stuff. This is this is so layered that this is what I love for doing this podcast for this rewatch is it's kind of like with each watch of this episode, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 this, 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 and watch again. Oh no, that, that, that. Oh no, again. Oh, this and that. And all like, I keep watching it. I'm going to come up with ten more layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, I, this one, especially this one. It. I don't know why I get the chills every time we start one of these episodes. It's, it's <laughs> the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think for me, the first, the, my early days of watching it. I probably didn't pay a ton of attention to this episode and it's not until going back that, you know, like you said, each time you start to notice more and more or like something else resonates with you that didn't resonate with you the first few times. And I know one of the reasons was because Nicole Hot was definitely absent in this episode. <laughs> so that probably, you know, it mm-hmm. always, my attention mm-hmm. is always a little higher when Nicole Hot's on the screen. Um so maybe that was one of the reasons, but yeah, there were definitely things that I took away. Not as many like bookendy things, you know, little detail things that I didn't catch before, but definitely just things that made me go, oh my gosh, yeah, just this story, right? Exactly, exactly. And and as we always weave in fairly early, a reminder, we will cover anything and everything from the whole series. In case you're new to the podcast, it's not newbie friendly if you haven't seen everything. And this episode is a great example of why, because like you said, it's not so much callbacks. It's not so much first times of things. It's it's not so much that it's, wow, talk about some big doc stuff, some big herb sister stuff, some big understanding of the team dynamic um, that's going to start to play from here. Um, It's, you know, why known as past. You know, we all know it was tough, but boy, we get a lot of that laid out here, too, that just hits us. and Mel and her face, (laughs) her ability to show emotion in like an instant, you know, multiple opportunities here. And again, if you were watching as this aired, you know, before we knew what it was going to become, this was the first time. I know you don't quite know this yet, and you will someday, um, but this was the first Erp episode that very much brought in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay. Vibes. You've got a lot of things, and we'll touch on them in the conversation. Um, that really, for those of us who've been Buffy fans, we're like, ooh, ooh, this, this is, oh my goodness, look at some of these. So there's a lot to this one, even if it doesn't have any Nicole. <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> wait to hear about it. Kevin and I have have, have spoken before about um, me not having watched Buffy. I think I've seen maybe 
three episodes so far. Um, so that's one of the areas that I'm always a little behind on is, is my lack of watching Buffy and my lack of watching Lost Girl. So, and uh, this past year, I haven't been really able to do that because I've been obviously just watching Winona Earp <laughs> nonstop. I was going to say it's for good reasons, but in the coming years, I get the feeling we're going to get you deep in those. I think I'm going to have well. a little bit more time on my hands soon. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, maybe we could start out just with a lighter end of this episode, just by mentioning that we see more of Dahl's history, um, talking about his military background and his experience with the demons. He talks about Kandahar and um, specifically he brings up a demon Named Mickton. Mickton? Mickton. Mickton. Which we will not go on to hear again until later in season two. But oh my gosh, this is dropped here and now and just goes over our head like he's just mentioning some, just some name. Whatever. Means nothing at this point in the series. Just the name. Means nothing. <laughs> and then I'm watching it and I'm like, Gosh darn it. Like here it is. And then even reading the um uh, the postmortem, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to hear Emily mention that, you know, oh, there's some things that are dropped that, you know, maybe will come into play later, but she doesn't say what they are. So you wouldn't necessarily even have known at that time that it's Mickton. Why can't I say Mickton? <laughs> uh so I just thought that was just so interesting. And I'm thinking, how many more of these? I haven't read every postmortem, and I absolutely haven't read them after watching one of the episodes. So mm-hmm. it, right now I'm I'm seeing it with this other, this different viewpoint from like in these interviews, she's saying things without people really knowing what she's saying. Like she's dropping her own little Easter eggs in these postmortems, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's where I was so excited when we we're going to be doing this to have that be a part of it for that reason. Having known Emily is the master of the tease and um, a lot of these things coming in, it's this is where it's great when we can bring it all together and look at it as a big part of what we're doing as we go. You know that there is, you know, believe it or not, more than just the forty-two minutes of episode between the behind-the-scenes stuff and the postmortems and some of the other things we've learned as time has gone on. Again, we say it every single episode. It's just so much richer. We get to learn so much every time we watch the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I also start thinking like beyond it too. Like, is there even, you know, there are things that I catch that I'm like, okay, well, that that is probably what's going on. But then I start to even go past that and go like, but maybe it also means this. I just get like way out there in some <laughs> of my thinking. For a minute, I was thinking when they were doing the, the spell with the obsidian mirror stuff. And he says, Mixton, Mixton. I'm just going to slaughter it the whole time. Um, There we go. Slow. Mixton. 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 Like a T-I-O-N. That's much closer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and dolls, you know, like a spirit goes into him and he's talking about like, you know, no, you shall, basically, you shall not pass, kind of like Jeremy <laughs> says, <laughs> you shall not pass. Um, but then, like, something goes into his body, and he, like, levitates, and his eyes get black, 
for a minute, I was like, oh no, is he, is he like good right now? Is it, is that happening to him here too? But then I realized, no, it was the, the revenant going into him and then coming back out. But I was like, once he said Mixion, I was like, wait a minute, is Mixion in him right now? The whole dark eyes had me. Well, and I think that's part of the nice, can't tell for sure what it is, but as you said, it's it's kind of that tease towards what we're eventually going to see, the power of Mixion, the goo and everything else, you know, demons, different ways they can use portals and entry points, because even Dahls alludes to that when he talks about having a specific plan, you know, to get the barber, but we know that other demons might use that as an entry point. So that's also a classic Buffy thing from seven seasons, 144 episodes uh, of awesomeness that uh, a lot of times these demons seances, these kind of things are ways to work something that oftentimes do not go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> so, and not a predictable world. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Uh, the, um, the book that Waverly is reading from when we learn that she can uh, read and speak Latin it appears to be the same book that Nedley is using in his incantations in season four as well. I would not doubt that. Again, <laughs> the props department and the folks who do such a great job with things, you know, let's bring it back. Let's right. make it all I'm part like, of the universe. I have seen this book before. So then I went and looked and like, that's exactly where I saw this book. <laughs> <laughs> Love having the episodes at my disposal. <laughs> And you just saw that too, didn't you, when you were doing your uh, live watch with Casey? Yeah. Or why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to see Nedley pulling stuff out from behind the bar. Uh, <laughs> Casey said, yeah, he even has a hat. And then he pulls out the hat. I'm yeah. like, oh, gosh, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and then I I think that's like the lightest thing I have to go off of in this episode, because then after that, it's just, it's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff. Um, We get a couple laughs in this episode as far as, you know, one-liners and deliveries from Winona. But other than that, it's just, it's rich with this history, Um, like you had mentioned you know, we knew Winona had it rough just from these little things that we've heard Gus drop and uh, Winona drop herself. But then to hear in this episode, this whole like mean girl stuff that happened in her school with her um, and that she had been in, what was it, eight different foster homes? Yeah. Um, so now we find out that she had been in foster care. Um Bobo mentions that she had done time in um, St. Victoria's. Um, so she's been in, you know, psychiatric care. She's been in foster care. And then just this mean girl stuff. And I was just thinking, gosh, you know, her leaving purgatory not only gave Waverly this chance to like have some sort of normalcy, but you know, why would she want to come back when this town just really, she has such a past and they've basically all made their mind up about her. Um, And I just kept thinking about like all the things that go on in your life when you're young and kind of stupid and you make 
kind of stupid mistakes just because you don't know any better. Um, and then in this episode to have this all like brought all back up in her face, but then also throw a revenant on top of it. That's going to make you kind of pay for these things. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to deal with. It is. And, and again, it wasn't just the thing too, that really drove it home for me uh, along with all the stuff that happened with the kids, you know, a couple of the people that we meet here, the stories about uh, how they treated her and all. But then pile on top of that, uh, the probation officer and his wife uh, and, you know, looking on Winona and, and, you know, she could, it didn't matter where she turned, adult, child, everybody was out to get. So it's just, man, you know, talk about having it rough. Yeah. She's the fall guy for the probation officer. Um, You know, everyone's just thrown her under the bus. Um, you know, those, those parts where she was talking about how Megan's dad owned the local slaughterhouse and, and she used to fill her locker with guts every Friday, um, Mm -hmm. just because her clothes were wrong or that she had been in juvie or that she was the crazy girl. It's just, you know, you see so much of that culture where that this, that mean girl, you know, the bullying, and it's just like, this is a whole other level, Mm -hmm. um, it just, you know, things like that, like make me thankful that social media wasn't around when I was a kid and doing stupid things. Not like, I mean, these things aren't even stupid things. These are just like mean and cruel. Um, but just, just thinking back to all that stuff, it's like, ugh, that's rough. And then to, then to add on all the other, you know, the curse, the fact that Ward was abusive and a drunk, it, it's amazing. The girl is still standing. It is. And again, we get to see Mel's talents because even talking to dolls about a lot of this, how she, you know, keeps pushing it down. But at some points you can just see them, the emotion coming up, the watery eyes, the verge of a breakdown, just sharing what kind of happened. This is also an episode two where we finally get a chance to see the human side of dolls, if you will, with his interactions with Vinona. You know, as Winona says at one point when he's nice, it's the most undolls like thing <laughs> he said so far. So, you know, we're seeing more sides of our characters, too, by this. Yeah. And just when it when she, when she's saying that and just when I can't remember what he says, but it seems like he's not going to be soft about any of it. And then he's like, well, no, I was just about to say you were only 16. We all make mistakes. So it's just when you think he's still going to be really hard and gruff about the whole thing and all business, he does have that tiny crack where we do see that human element. Mm -hmm. Um, One part in there, when she mentioned that Megan used to do the fill her locker with entrails every Friday. The narrative I made up in my head is that that's when Winona started saying the phrase, uh, you've made an enemy this Friday. Mm, I like that. Right? I was like, like Fridays are like a trigger for her. And so when Uh she said that later on, that's just my own backstory I made up. Um, But I was like, oh, that's that's what I'm going with. (laughs) Fridays for her, like, oh, great. Here comes Friday. Um, But yeah, Megan definitely made an enemy that Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good one. And I like that. <laughs> I like that. Like we can, each of us sometimes as we go through, seize things that catch us, catch our attention and, and allow us to, you know, like we said, we can all see certain parallels or, or, or 
bookends and so forth. And sometimes we can just, I'm going to kind of rewrite this a bit to fit my narrative and no one else can say no to it because there's no evidence to the contrary. Exactly. <laughs> well, we all add our own element to it. That's right. We all, we all spin it to be, you know, to, to kind of fit into our views of things. And that's, that's where we can have fun. Where, where do you want to go next? Do you want to, want to talk about uh, Doc? Yeah, you're reading my mind. Um, because, yeah, there is so much backstory or insight into Doc uh, in this episode. Yeah, there is just, I mean, it's uh, between flashbacks with Wyatt, beginning and end of the episode. You know, uh, we got Wyatt talking about, uh, you know, heading off to purgatory, you know, as we're going to find out. He's going to encounter Sheriff Clutie, the whole idea of demons. Um, Doc knowing that there's a bit of that part devil as he tries to tell Wyatt. Uh, you know, man, they, they talk about foundational stuff for the whole series and also for Doc, because again, we get to see Doc be, I, I want to say, I don't want to say bad, but we have seen or are going to see um, so much of Doc in his morally gray, you know, how, how selfish he can be sometimes. Other times he can be very supportive of others. And it we get to see it all throughout this episode, from the backstory stuff to his, um, you know, flip that and then watch his, his shooting range stuff with Winona to prove who he is and turn on the charm. I mean, how sexy is he in that scene with Winona? Right. <laughs> but then also, like we said, the stuff with uh, uh, Wyatt, uh, we come to find out he's the one who put Augie in, you know, the... Uh, what was it? Big the the big tiny muddy shit puddle. Right. Or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it was but just no, called Big Deep Lake or something. Big Deep like. Lake, yeah. Because that title wasn't available. I mean, like you said, some of the lines along with the horror side. But we I mean, that kind of comes out not, you know, kind of you have to be paying attention to the dialogue near the end when at one point he's like, you know, they yeah, some near to wells would would uh that's where people would meet their end. Well, yeah, you were the one who actually ended up putting Augie in. So again, how much more are we gonna learn about this guy? I honestly don't recall if I felt so surprised by that whole reveal that I feel like I've never put it together before. I find it hard to believe that I didn't or that I just maybe it's just that I haven't seen that episode in such a long time that it just hit me again. But I was like seriously having like an oh my God moment because it was like these aha moments. But I'm like, there's no way. How did how would I have missed this before? But the way that flashback was or that backstory was brought about in like these different little segments, you know, it wasn't all at once, but those little reveals that were hinted at as far as the Augie story where, you know, first he says that, um, you know, he's just like, Oh yeah. You know, there, there's rumor that, um, or first he's like, Oh, um, you know, cattle rustlers confess to Augie about some of their crimes. And then they're like, well, how is he even a revenant? Because Wyatt didn't kill him, which to me, that was another one of those parts where I was like, wait a minute, how can it even work that way? Because he didn't directly kill him. But then um, Doc goes on to say that, well, basically he signed his death certificate. And I was trying to think of if there were any other revenants that had that same kind of fate. We've heard about people being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but that sounded more like a, like a collateral damage kind of situation, not an actual, it wasn't by Wyatt's actual hand or gun that Augie died. So I was, I was like, wow, 
I, I didn't even realize that, but like that, that was a weird twist in him actually being able to be a revenant when he wasn't actually killed directly by Wyatt. Um, and then when he went on to say that, like, yeah, you know, he never made it to court. And there's rumor that some people um, maybe took him out to a certain lake that people use to make problems go away with an anchor and a chain. And I was like, that's pretty I didn't... specific details. <laughs> yeah, it was. And then that weird way where Wyatt's or where Winona says, okay, scoundrel. And I'm like, did she get it there? Or was she still talking in like obvious hypotheticals like they were earlier? Um, or did she catch on there too? Because I didn't catch on until the end when Augie jumps out of the lake with the chains. And he's like, you know, you know, you want me. It was my hands that put you in the lake. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, he's the one who did it this whole time. <laughs> I felt like it was such a huge reveal to me that I'm like, how did... Why am I surprised? I've seen this show a million times. (laughs) Like I said, that's why the layers and the different way we pick them up. But I mean, when you look at this episode in the the entire scope of the first four seasons and the Doc character, again, there's so many ones, especially in this episode, talking about that, you know, that, yeah, man, he's not been a good guy. Um, And, and, you know, even Augie mentioned something real quick about it, you know, when uh, doing his thing with uh, Winona, but just dismisses doc because when doc says that hey it's really me you're after you're like yeah but you don't you don't feel bad about it you don't care right and and why no obviously does um so again that's where we're seeing some of that bit about doc you know so and and at least he opened up a bit to winona in this episode too now we could we could step back and start to discuss is he warming up to her or is this still the card player keeping all his options open yeah and i love that you know, this is this is a time when we're supposed to be figuring out if we like Doc or not, right? We're supposed to be like figuring out how we feel about all these characters. And I still, you're just so conflicted still because he, like you said, he has those fun, cute moments where it's like, oh, he seems like a fun guy. He's charming or just, you know, he's great shot and he's charismatic. And then there are these other things where it's like, but you did all these really bad things and you bring them up so nonchalantly. Yeah. And it's just, it's really fascinating that he's so fluid that way where, and then that scene in the end when Winona's dropping him off into, you know, the field he's going to sleep in that night. And he's just like, my life is filled with regret, but is it like, do you really regret it? Or are you just saying you regret it? He has those tender moments where you're just, you're not sure what to believe. And I think for me, part of that that's fascinating again in this bigger view is I think anyway, in the moment when he was doing all these things, no, there's no regret. He's just surviving. That's, that's what Doc was doing. But a hundred plus years at the bottom of a well will really make you contemplate some things. Um, and getting another chance, as he did, by getting out of the well and all, all of this, I, I think that's where it's an interesting look at the doc idea of redemption or change, you know, spun out over the 49 episodes we've had so far. So that's where it's interesting. That's where it's fascinating. We're going to get a, a lot, lot more of it. But yeah, again, we get plenty of ammunition here to realize, no, maybe he's not the best guy. Although mm-hmm. what I really do love is... After they have the little seance, whatever you want to call it, the extraction spell, the idea they were trying to do when 
you know, uh, uh, Dolls gets taken over, they have to zap him, so he's unable to go with them to actually get Augie. This is Doc's chance to step up, you know, when Dolls basically says, hey, you screw this up, you know, I'll end you. And, and Doc very confidently, you know, I don't screw up. So this was his chance to truly show some of what he could do. So that's why I say, I think from the team building side of this episode, having the, you know, having the four of them together there to try to get him out of the, with the Obsidian Mirror and all, to, to me, that's starting some of what's going to roll forward, certainly for season one and beyond, uh, is, is all of them, at least to some degree, realizing they need each other. Yeah, everyone bringing their different assets to the table. Yes, yes. And we see that moment, too, where Dahl says to Doc, you know, you, you mess this up. I'm going to come for you kind of situation. And your mind is like, is he worried about the mission or is he worried about Winona? You have that tiny moment where it's like, is it both? Is it, which one does he care? Is he starting to show that he has feelings for Winona? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not seeing it yet. If I want to reflect on just these four episodes, I don't think Dolls is yet. Mm-hmm. I think he's starting to do it. I think with each passing episode, um, you know, once we get later in season one and we've got a, a bunch of these, my memory could be faulty, <laughs> is going to be that as we have each of these episodes, there's going to be one or two things in almost every episode that are starting to, you know, chip away at the at the veneer that is Xavier in terms of him keeping everybody at a distance. So I think it's slowly him starting to to warm to my own. Yeah. In, in, in multiple ways. Well, she did just give him the kiss of life, too. So that did he may... even know that he was unconscious. So unless she I brought it up know. later. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her. No, I would bring it up at every chance she got. <laughs> exactly. The relationship between Doc and Wyatt is such a fun thing to see. And then, you know, as we're going to see it much later in those old videos as well. But here where we get that, that early one where Wyatt's like, come on, we got to take care of this, this bad boy sheriff. And, um, Doc is basically dying in the bed, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. this is our farewell. And, you know, Wyatt says he'll see him on the other side. So he's assuming he's going to die. And then when we get the memory at the end where Wyatt returns from purgatory only to find that Doc is fine. And he's, you know, Wyatt's very alarmed by this because he's like, this this is no miracle. What exactly happened? And he he decides, you know, clearly you've made a pact with the devil. And Doc says, no, no, you know, I'm strong again. Let's fight. Let's ride together like we used to. I did this for us. And Wyatt says, you did this because you're selfish and a coward. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We are going to hear that much later in the series from another herb, aren't we? Exactly. Fast forward (laughs) to another time and place on a porch. (laughs) And, um, why Nona finds out that Kate's turned Doc into a vampire. Once again, he's immortal. Mm-hmm. And in her own words, it's very similar, but, you know, phrased a little differently. She says, you wanted your immortality that badly, you selfish asshole. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, it was such a great, you know, again, they didn't say it exactly the same. But to see like out in one time and place, he had this with an herb. This is very similar back and forth, right? This like this pain that he just caused in Earp. And then to fast forward generations later and have the same push and pull and the same like heartbreak that he just caused in Earp. It's just like, 
Oh, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great stuff. It's, it's great stuff. That's why I say this is a, a lot of the doc, especially in season one, that we're going to learn more about. It spins off what we got to see here first, especially yeah. in this one. So that's, like you said, a little you're getting goosebumps. And when we start to talk about, we start to see it play. It, it's just like you get excited for, oh, can't wait till we get to this point. I want to bring this back to here. Yeah. And there's some <laughs> parts, it's like you going, you know, now that we've seen that, the big picture and you go back and you hear it, you get like the spidey senses and you're like, I've felt this way before, or I've seen this scene before in a different way. And you start to ca- go through the catalog in your mind. Like, and sometimes it's when, you know, right away, Oh, is this episode, whatever. Um, but it's like, Oh, we felt this before. Where did we feel this before? And then to be able to pinpoint it, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about jo- uh, Doc's longevity for a minute. So we find out he's not a rev and he's not a ghost. And that, he did indeed barter for this eternal longevity, which cured his TB. And as he says, freed him from the ravages of time. And he says, so basically it boils down to, he can't die of natural causes. And then he says, unless he catches a bullet, a knife or an oncoming train, how literal do you think that is? Well, I think it's a reminder for us as we watch the show going forward that it's, you know, someone who watches different genre shows and so forth, you, you, you think, you know, and we've seen plenty of characters, superheroes and other people that, you know, can be shot and just instantly get better or it doesn't impact them. They're just reminding us here that no, we, he could die, he could die, but it's going to take an act of someone to do it rather than just the natural passing of time. So I think it's in the sense of literal, it's just reminding us that, that there's, it's not like it's only, one silver tipped blade that can kill him or something. There's a special magical weapon that can do it. It could be just a routine thing. If he walks out in front of a train or, or something, that's what it, to me, I took the, the little nature of it to say, Oh, okay. He's got longevity, but he, that doesn't mean he can't die tomorrow. Right. I've always like looking back, I've, I never really felt like there was like doc was in a ton of danger ever because he had this, you know, he was a little more protected than everybody else. Definitely the, the few times I was really worried about him was when he was on the other end of usually Winona's gun. Um, but then watching, so I was just thought, okay, natural causes he can't die of. But then this time, for some reason, I was like, just the way he specifically says those three things. I'm like, am I supposed to believe that the, it's literally those three things? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. For me, I didn't, I didn't go there. I just, it, it, uh, kind of remind me oh okay okay it's only in mark it's only immortality it's um or longevity rather it's not that he is impervious right to things it does have its flaws mm-hmm. much like him mm-hmm. oh that's a good one put that, put that on a t-shirt <laughs> you know we have another uh, little vignette with bobo when they go to his trailer park and it's this seems to be like the first time we see him and Winona together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows him or, or he knows her. They've crossed paths before. We don't hear exactly when, but he does give us that information that you know he knew Ward. He knows about her um, her past being a psychiatric ward. Um, but then he also makes it very clear that when Dolls is like you know. You could be in a world of hurt, 
Bobo says he knows exactly about that type of heart. And he starts referencing, um, he says, let me guess, black choppers, tomahawks, and one steaming crater in the ground. So he knows and even says, I know all about Maldito. I had friends there. Mm -hmm. So that's that fun, like tie in to like, you know, Doc has shown us a picture of this. This is the big warning that, you know, if we don't play our cards right, this is what could happen to purgatory. So now we have even more mystery to Bobo, where it's like, what's his story? Why does he know about this? He's been around a long time. Yeah. And he drops some nice little tidbits for us, too, because even in that quick interaction, you know, he, he throws back at Winona that, hey, quote, baby sister has better manners. So we get an indirect Waverly mention. Right. Uh, and uh, he said that he knew Daddy Ward very well. And that's going to be telling when we get to the point when we find out about the arrangement that had been made to allow him to walk. So, you know, it's again, first time through, it's just kind of, oh, okay. But later on, it's like, oh, oh, okay. Now we know when we're going to find out some more, you know, how much Bobo was in the know about a lot of these things. Bobo. Bobo. Bad egg. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Looking good in this coat. That was certainly impressionable. Isn't it too warm for that coat? <laughs> Later on, fine, but this is like spring in purgatory. I, I got to see that coat up close during our set visit when we looked at some of the, uh, you know, things from the costume department and such. That is one heavy coat. I mean, in both look and feel and actual weight. <laughs> Did it smell bad? It looks like it would smell bad. I don't know about that. I didn't get a chance to get <laughs> that uh, friendly with it to know if it smelled bad or not. How do you even wash a coat like that? <laughs> Michael has had to sweat in that thing. It can't be pretty. <laughs> uh, uh, one fun thing that I noticed uh, and I really appreciated was when Winona leaves Shorty's after repenting to Pete and she's standing <laughs> in the door and she's like, you know, I don't have time. I got to go find all the people I've hurt and beg for their stupid. And then she says, forgiveness is sis. <laughs> and I was like, is this the start of when we realize that she has trouble doing plural words that end in an S because just in the most recent one I watched, 409, she said, I spent many New Year's Eves in a drunk tank. Um, so, and I know there are even more of them where she does that, but it's one of her character elements that I really think is funny and fun. Um, so was, it just caught my ear this time around because I was like, you know, back then I wouldn't have known that this would be a thing that would continue on. Mm -hmm. um, no, good catch. That scene is even more fun when... <laughs> Waverly yells, but everyone hates you, I know not. She's like, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, you got no chance of that plan B for begging. <laughs> Two hours is not enough time, yeah, trust no. me. <laughs> not at all. And then there's that whole heavy element to it, too, where it's like this idea of like a forced forgiveness where you have two hours to get people to forgive you or you're going to get the blade. And that whole concept of like, can you make someone forgive you? They have to want to forgive you. Saying sorry isn't always enough. So I just thought that was really interesting. That's like, you know, you can feel sorry, but for the other person to actually forgive you is going to take a lot more than a sorry in some, in some circumstances and in some cases. Yeah. And especially here in purgatory, we know how 
screwed up so many of the residents are. I would love to be a therapist in that town. <laughs> <laughs> Could make a killing. This is booming, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get them to talk, that is, yes. <laughs> it's like that if they had some public transportation and a therapist, it's like two of the things that are possibly lacking in that town. <laughs> Another thing going back to Doc's longevity that just bothered me this time around was that you know, he had TB, but he's still smoking, Kevin. And I know he can't die, but it just, it seems like he should have more respect for what his lungs have gone through and show a little bit of mercy. But no. This is Doc friggin' Holiday. You think he's actually going to do that again? Come on. <laughs> I'm like, he's just drinking and smoking. This cannot be yep. good. Nope. He is not going to stop being who he is, regardless of other circumstance there. No, now he's just got a free pass to smoke as much as he wants, I guess. And again, this, I think, but I think that's going to play into as we watch him evolve through this series. Um, you know, we talk about this many times. All of us have different storylines and the characters, the relationships we're going to see that we love and adore that can make us emotional and all. And, and you see it, it comes back to the whole point of uh, someone, you know, Winona being cursed, Doc being in the well, the, the idea that your, you know, destiny is laid out, you can't really control it, you're stuck in a situation or whatever. So Doc, you know, he goes back to what he knows, you know, drinking, smoking. You know, taking advantage of situations. It's it's not until things really evolve that we start to see him and many of the other characters actually take control of some of their situations. You know, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but we can uh, talk about everybody's favorite Waverly. And, and she's going to start to grow and evolve and realize she can unstick her wings and things Gus is going to say and so forth. You know, to see each of these characters grow, that's certainly where I get some of these goosebumps is just watching an episode like this and realize, you know, pick out each one of them almost and then think a couple seasons down the line and how far they're going to be going and how far they'll eventually be able to come it's just really wonderful wonderful to be able to go back and see this happen so naturally well and each character you know has such an arc and even in this episode you know, we've seen those little bits of of spicy waverly coming out but in this episode where winona doc and dolls are all arguing in the sheriff's office after waverly lets doc out of the what does he call it the gray bar hotel yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're just arguing 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 and then she just whistles and struts in there and it's like you know you're all babbling babies like she just lays it out on top of them and lets them have it and they're just like okay you're right like the the command Leave she had of that room yeah. yeah that's why i say the teamwork part in this episode that's what you know with a lot of parallels to buffy and the scooby gang there in that show and those characters coming together that same idea that you know they they're all able to turn when they have to to respect another member of the team because we're also seeing again some wonderful reinforcement um in this episode with the things that Waverly knows, that Waverly can do, and Dahl's starting to give her more opportunity to, you know, he's he's letting her in, uh, you know, knowing the Latin, being able to do the chant, being totally amazeballs. I mean, all of it, it's, it's starting to happen and evolve here, and that's just wonderful to see. Well, yeah, we're already seeing them um, rely on her, where Wynonna's like, I need you to find this guy. And she's like, well, you're going to need yep. to give me something to go off of. And she's like, I don't know, mutton chops, this, this, this. And uh, and then when she takes the files to Doc, 
at the Gray Bar Hotel. I just noticed it this pass through this, so I'm just going to keep saying it because I thought it was just a funny reference to prison Gray Bar Hotel. And she hands him the stack of files and he's like, this is an impressive, you know, yes. amount of research you have. So she's, she's getting a little bit of notice and respect that she, you know, definitely deserves. And as I'm sure you're going to bring up, <laughs> feels she's entitled to some kudos for and it's nice and subtle the way Doc brings it up here, even, you know, in terms of her being, you know, miffed or upset the fact that Winona gets to be the special one as we're eventually going to have come out at the end of the episode. Uh, even he reads it. That's what Doc, you know, Doc reading people, you know, that's something we know he's outstanding at. So even bringing that up and her just kind of trying to push it aside you know, is, is a big part of where we eventually get with the two of sisters. Yeah, it was an interesting way to just like gently toss it in there plant the mm -hmm. seed. Um, speaking of reading people, when Dolls and Doc face off in the interrogation room and Doll says that he, you know, sees that Doc is a man who doesn't like tight spaces. Mm -hmm. How did he know? I think that's Dolls, you know, doing, doing some research once he realized it was Doc Holiday, maybe. And also both of them being very good at reading because even Doc the same way back at dolls um that's like a master class with the two of them going at it i mean the, you know we get to have a little fun with that whole idea of dolls laughing and how the herb sisters are like terrified because they've never seen him do that but he's playing the situation a bit too so i just think they're both really good at reading each other and then he when he when dolls comes out and he's like when did you when were you going to tell us that you were when were you going to tell me that you, you were kicking it with doc holiday we still don't know how he found like how did he put all that together again observation guy he's probably been picking up on some of the stuff waverly's been looking at some of the research hearing some of the conversations you know looking at him putting two and two together a bit i just think i think he might have even gone back to some BBD research mm. on some stuff. Who knows? Maybe there's something in some files that we never actually saw play out on screen that he had access to. Yeah. Another interesting part of that exchange too was the way Dolls phrased when he was saying that he ran Doc's prints through you know all the different databases, and he said that means you're a non-entity and you have no rights. Mm -hmm. Just that that was a really interesting way to phrase it. You're not a revenant. You're yeah, what are you? <laughs> yeah, interesting to me. Yep. Not a ghost. What are you, Doc? What are you? I think that leaves us to your sisters. <laughs> I'm going to let you take that because only you can do that justice. No, no. <laughs> Plenty of folks out there that can bring in uh, the Earp sister side of it, certainly in this episode. We know it's a, it's a big one, certainly for season one a chance to really see them interacting, a chance for Waverly to finally get to be a bit honest about what she had hoped, um, and, and certainly bringing it all out, really talking about the, you know, uh, when she's talking about Winona, who never, you know, saying no, that you never try to be good at anything. So, and Waverly really being amazing, totally amazeballs at, at all of the things she was learning, finding out about the curse, and, you know, as she said at one point, Never found anything that said she couldn't be the one to break it. Um, it's great to watch the emotional journey of their relationship here uh, and to have Winona at the point of a blade be the one to truly finally come to see it. You know, we're certainly going to play a little bit in season one with the oblivious Winona uh, having some fun with things. But again, looking right past Waverly, not realizing the little sister in terms of how far she's come and also how much she's hurt her by being a lot of that way. Um, 
you know, certainly another one of the Buffy references is, is Waverly using the phrase the chosen one, which is right out of Buffy lore. But it applies certainly to our show because that the heir, in this case, Winona, is very much that. So it, it's, it's as good as some of that is. And certainly as much as that'll bring out the emotion in me watching those exchanges there with Augie before Winona gets the upper hand with him. Um, the more powerful stuff is very much back at the homestead with the bubblegum sake scene. You know, that's where the two of them really bond. That's where it's really important when Waverly tries to push it to the side. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean any of that stuff. But Winona is willing to be vulnerable. That's something we get to see her do and do Mel do that very well here. So for me, this was very much a big, big episode in terms of by just getting even deeper emotionally committed to this show You know, early on when it aired. And I realized how much the two of them are going to be able to do this, to be this honest with each other, to start to see the other differently. I mean, any of us who have siblings or really close friends, uh, you know, let's face it, we all have this view of someone that we have when we were younger with them, whatever that might have been, whether that was as children or in school or an early part of our relationships, that we all tend to hold on to those views of people. And sometimes it takes a small thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. It happens that really opens our eyes to even more about them. And I definitely see that certainly from the scene with Augie, but very much filled out in the bubblegum sake exchange, um, mentioning of her being needy as a lone wolf to, to take these characters and turn them into people that we all care about is just, you know, again, something that I just adore. And the combination of those two scenes too, where you have, you know, the very public scene where they're with Augie and then the scene where, like you said, it's just them at the homestead, you know, separately, they're great scenes. When you look at them together, you just see this well-rounded interaction between them. And it's like, I love how Winona kind of pushes it where Waverly is just like, no, no, everything's fine. You know, not her exact words, but she's just like, no, I've forgiven you. You know, this is, this isn't about us and Wayne like no this this is this is this makes sense right this is how could you not feel that way and she realizes that Waverly doesn't want to cause waves um and is always the nice one but she's giving her this opportunity to just say it how it is and she's like you know I'm strong enough I can take it you don't have to feel like you have to be careful around me when it comes to your feelings. And I, I just love that, that part of it in um, the Augie part where she kind of pushes it. And then again at the homestead where she's like, she, you can tell she's not going to let it go until she finally gets her to, to get it off her chest. And she's like, if you're not going to do it that way, fine. I'll get you drunk. And you're going to tell me that way. But <laughs> eventually we're going to talk about this. I got all day in a bottle of bubblegum sake that tastes horrible apparently <laughs> but yeah I just I love those scenes and it's just you know the start of how many other scenes that we're going to get that similar where you know where she slides down the wall and and gets low you know it's kind of like a move Winona ends up doing in some other scenes too where it just kind of mimics the the door scene and the pregnancy reveal and some of those other heart-to-hearts. And it's going to be so important to Waverly's development, as we're going to see, you know, to, to have this interaction here, to bring out something that has been, she's kept under the surface you know, in terms of her feelings for some of Winona, to finally get to have this come out, to have to start to deal with it, 
to watch them become so much closer as the season plays out, but also to get Waverly to to be able to reflect on who she is for herself and eventually, you know, what that's going to mean with Nicole. You know, I don't, I don't, without this development of the Earp sisters, is Waverly going to be comfortable enough to actually become who she becomes? Right. Like without, you know without Winona coming back and, and challenging her in, in these different ways. Yeah. Who would, you know, she, she, so much of who she's become up to this point is because of Winona and the history of the family. Also who she's going to end up being, you know, like her story's not finished and Winona is so much a part of her story. And, you know, that, that beginning part of her story, it's like, yeah, her story's not over because Winona's got more she needs to do. The other part that I was really listening to and thinking about was when she says, when Waverly says, you know, why couldn't it be me that breaks the curse? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious when we get to more of the areas where the curse ends up being broken and I re-examine it. At this point, I'm thinking, who's to say she wasn't the one who broke the curse? Because I don't feel like it was just one person who broke that curse. I know technically it's Winona, but it was like, it was such a team effort that, you know, it's like you did break the curse. You do end up, spoiler alert, Waverly, you do end up breaking the curse. It's not just Spoiler alert, Waverly, <laughs> you are the champion. <laughs> right? Spoiler okay. alert, you get really dark and house and black. Drink up that sake, you're going to need it. Yeah, no, and that's, that's you know, but a fascinating thing too for me when I think and overthink about it because we love it so much. But as we say, when, when all of us think back on our lives as we've grown and, and some of us have had important things happen for better or for worse, but as these things, each of them happen, they help to define who we're going to become. And also they give us that enlightenment sometimes to think of things a different way. So I just, this is so important to Waverly here in terms of where she's going to start to go in everything, her relationships, her choices. Um, as we're going to find certainly through season one, when there's there's more interactions with other revenants and other problems. I just think it's so important and it's so wonderful to see that just the early part of it a little bit here, along with just great Herb Sister stuff, you're starting to see, okay, now so Waverly can start to think about herself. She just doesn't have to follow, as she mentions an episode or two back when Winona picked on her for being with Champ, like, well, limited options. No, everything is in play now, Waverly, everything. And just, you know, how, how we've heard that, you know, she's always tried to be the good girl. She always, you know, was an overachiever because she didn't feel seen and that she was like, what do I have to do to, to be good, to be seen, all that stuff. And now she's going to start to realize that, you know, there's, there are different ways of getting seen and it's not necessarily about being good or, you know, good as very subjective. And again, with the whole Winona backstory, just with choices and crap life hands people um, and, and how it shapes who you've become. We certainly, we wouldn't wish most of the things that happened to Winona on her or anyone, right? No but one. how it's shaped her character and you know, could she have gotten where she is without those defining moments? Who knows? But it certainly has shaped who she is and and who she is, is, you know, essential. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we're very much going to see Winona going forward now. We're, we're going to see the respect for Waverly, for, for her, not only her knowledge, her skills, everything she's going to bring to things now. It's, again, this is one of those you can't go back. You now see, you know, she as the older sister now sees the younger sister as much more capable. Even in this episode, um, yeah, and she was she was essential to cracking this case. But And then Winona, too, where, where she has that moment where she figures out, you know, she's kind of thinking out loud and her thinking out loud gets her and dolls to the point where they realize, oh, the guy's like, you know, jumping through these mirrors. And she says, oh, I feel so smart. You know, she has that like self-deprecating sense of humor where she kind of like cuts herself down. But throughout the passage of time, we find, you know, she's she's so smart. She's really, she doesn't always seem uh, eloquent or coordinated in in many of the things she does in her crime fighting or her demon fighting, but she's certainly very good at it. You Mm -hmm. know, her street smart, I think it's more than street smart. She just has a a, a combined, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, how I'm trying to put it, but she's like, she is smart. She's always got something she figures out in these cases. She's very natural at figuring out these solutions and which as doc will say, why notice there's always another way. It is. Yep. It's part of what's developing and that's what we can appreciate more when we get to watch someone we care about become more, you know, it, it makes us really appreciate it as we watch it happen. What, what one comes after this? I mean, I know it's, this is four, so the next one's five, but <laughs> I can never remember what comes after this. That's part of when you're so deep in it, at least for me, that's the joy of being able to go as soon as you start to watch that one, you go, oh, that's right. That's this episode. Exactly. So. <laughs> every t- it happens to me every time. <laughs> um, I was, I did look back. We had an email that came through, uh, through our website. So it went into a different spot where you didn't see it. And this is from Imp. They had said that they were listening to our episode where we covered episode three. They're loving it. And they wanted to share that they think that another indicator that Waverly was starting to be interested in Nicole is the scene where Waverly's in the trailer park and her phone rings. And that's when Bobo becomes aware that she's there and then Doc ends up shooting her to scare her away. Um, but Imp believes that this phone call could possibly be the phone call that Nicole is making from the hostage situation to let her know that Winona is in trouble. So now I have to go back and look at that. <laughs> and the time, time-wise, I've never put two and two together that I just was like, she could be getting a call from anyone. Yeah, I don't know if that falls in place for me, but okay. Again, yeah. that, that, you know, I love that everybody can kind of see it from a different perspective and, and uh, give us a chance to try to slot everything into the puzzle, make it all fit. Right. And, it, you know, there are some things that we never know the answers to. So there's mm-hmm. no right or wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm curious, like that could have been like other than being shot at why she was like a little flustered because maybe she saw, oh, it's Nicole. Why is Nicole calling me? It's definitely a theory that's going to have me going back and looking at the timeline again. <laughs> Any excuse I need to look at it again, I will happily take. Exactly. <laughs> uh, just one other thing that I found interesting, we'll, we'll see come back towards the very end of season one. At the end of this episode, uh, when we see Doc standing by the fire, he tosses the badge mm-hmm. into the fire. And that's 
when Juan Carlos going to bring that back to him? Yeah, we see later that again. One. Yeah, Just asking him where he got it and all that. So nice little, nice little uh, reminder of what's to come. Yeah, and why, like, why was he putting it in the fire? <laughs> you think he's feeling like, you know, he's, he's if he's reflecting on his situation with Wyatt. Maybe yeah. he's just, you know, and now that you've got an herb air, I don't know, coming back in. I'm sure Doc is very conflicted on all of this, you know, deciding what his part in it. Uh, he's got his emotion to deal with, but also his uh, his poker skill set to to not lose what he considers to be control of the situation, where he's the one playing everybody else. Yeah, I think Might be too much of a remnant of the past. Yeah, definitely reflection. And maybe he's feeling it, now that he's had this whole situation unfold where he's had to revisit this and he's feeling like oh maybe i'm not deserving of this mm -hmm. you know he's mentioned he mentions it later on that you know there's not a lot of difference between you know some of us were just wearing the badge that's really the only difference not necessarily because they were deserving of it but they, they just had it he oh he goes through so much his his poor brain when does he ever <laughs> shut it off he's just constantly thinking through this whole Again, series he had a hundred plus years in the well just, you know, reflect on that and where that could get you. And then later on, he doesn't sleep. There's just too much time for thinking. <laughs> I hope he takes up some hobbies <laughs> other than trivia. <laughs> could do some knitting. I don't know. That's a lot. of. Think of all the podcasting we could do, Kevin, if we never had to sleep. All right. Careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you would like to send us an email, you can do so by visiting our website at herbologypodcast.com, uh, or you can do it directly at herbologypodcast at gmail.com. And you can even leave us a voicemail by clicking on the microphone in the bottom right hand corner of our website. Uh, and it'll give you like two minutes, you can shoot us a, a voicemail, we we'll love hearing from you. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at herbology underscore pod yeah there was some great stuff uh, too we certainly want to touch on from the, the bts and the postmortem uh, before we go i loved in the behind the scenes and again these the the behind the scenes video for season one videos for season one are pretty short two three minutes before they really got cranking come season two three and four in terms of length but always some good nuggets. I like in here when Emily talked about uh, the Herb Sisters a little bit in their development. And, you know, why known as awareness now, once she's kind of seen how much Waverly has worked so hard on a lot of this, um, talking about how, saying, quote, she better be worthy of this title for her sister, meaning Winona, you know, taking being the heir seriously. And it just couldn't help but me to instantly jump me to, you know, episode 412 and their conversation in the barn about the fact that Winona doesn't have to stay for Waverly anymore. But this early in what they're doing, I'm sure this is when she starts, or Kevin at least believes, this is when Winona starts to realize, I need to do this right. I need to do this for Waverly. So I just, again, this whole show and seeing things come together made me just reflect on kind of some bookends there. Not direct bookends, but certainly realizing it taking it a little too far as Winona does, using it as a crutch not to want to leave, and then Waverly being able to, by that point, at the end of season four, basically tell her, it's okay, sis, I got this. Big, big, big journey. Yeah, and, and how many times do we do we hear her just reference or see her acting in a way where it's obvious that, you know, it's always about Waverly. You know, mm -hmm. it's it seems like her... 
her mission from here on out is it's not only just taking care of the 77, but it's also just ensuring that everything that can possibly go right in Waverly's life goes right. (laughs) Very true. Very true. And I also loved in the postmortem with Emily, because this goes back to your mention of the fact we don't have uh, Nicole in this episode. But again, if you go back, folks, when this was airing, at that time, you know, we had the introduction of Nicole and how much of an impact that made. And then she's not around for a bit. Uh, and, you know, Bridget brought that in in terms of, uh, you know, the fandom and how much they enjoyed seeing Nicole. And again, Emily being Emily said, quote, it's incredible that Kat Burrell has had that response from basically a two and a half minute scene. It really speaks to the acting abilities of these two lovely ladies, Tom and Kat, the chemistry they have with each other and the realness of that scene. Rereading that, I was like, oh, gosh, (laughs) when you think about that, it was just a two and a half minute scene because it feels sometimes it doesn't feel long enough. But other times it's like it made such an impact. It couldn't have only been two and a half minutes. Yeah. And And also to think about, you know, like that period of time where it's like, yes, they're busy establishing these, these main characters, right? And then mm-hmm. how time just evolved to where there's going to be barely any scenes without Nicole Hot after a while. <laughs> there you go. Because again, we're still so early in the show's development, so early in the fandom. We've only seen, you know, as this episode aired, four episodes here's Nicole, I want her back, you know, how is she going to play into this, da-da-da. So, again, with now the full picture of the four seasons, just going back to this point, and Emily knowing what's still to come in season one, obviously, having, you know, showrunner and all, but we as viewers, not. And then you think about a comment like that and realize, you know, what is still to come? You know, the beauty of watching that unfold. I, I love, I, I like the, I like the relationship that Bridget has with Emily in these interviews as well, too, because there's there's some fun play in there. And there's a part where Bridget is kind of like, what's to come with like, where's Nicole? When are we going to see Nicole again? And Emily's just like, nice try, Bridget. I see. I see what you're trying to do here. You know, like mom's the word on any of yes. this. <laughs> Can't fault her for trying. For, right. Kudos to Bridget for always asking. And Emily, as smart as she is, making sure to only tease, um, you know, until the appropriate time. So, yeah, it's it's so much fun now to go back and not only read the question and answer, but read between the lines of the question and answer now that we know some of the stuff that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> Such a treasure trove of, of information available to us, thank goodness. Um, yeah. So we can get our fix and then also so that we can uh, just have it revolve in our head, (laughs) churning out (laughs) ideas over and over again. Yes. So we're four episodes in. Season one is 13. So we still have nine more to go. And we've got so much more to happen just kind of in that small season one pocket. It's hard to Um, pace ourselves in these episodes because you could tie in so much of the future, but it's like you only want to tie in enough to propel us forward. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, part of what what is working for me, and you brought it in a little earlier, uh, is emotionally, as I'm 
you know, wrapping myself in the episodes for the sake of the podcast and just, again, loving it as always, because we're talking arm. Um, it's like, I want to start to look ahead. I want to start to maybe watch a little ahead before we're going to record, or I want to do, like you said, trying to remember exactly what's coming in episode five or six. And I have to stop myself and say, for me anyway, wait, I think why I think I'm enjoying it even more is that I'm not. I'm trying to stay very much in that present of watching that episode, making some notes, and not until you and I have talked about it do I want to look ahead. You know, I don't want to in any way corrupt that idea of trying to be in the moment of where we were at that point in the series. It's hard. Man, is it hard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting myself to actually watch less perp than I might normally do if we weren't doing this podcast journey because I want to keep it very fresh for each of these discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I had with the why not podcast, I had to get myself to that spot. So again, it's like, I haven't gone back and because my, my head starts to get really confused too, where uh, funny enough, I listen, I re-listened to the episode that I did with Casey that covered this episode because I wanted to see what I caught that time versus what I would catch this time. and. I had gotten myself into a situation in that episode where we actually covered episode four and five, because that's what I did in real life as I got myself too far ahead. And I started mm -hmm. getting confused of what happened in episode four <laughs> and what happened. So I did like almost a spoiler. So we ended up having to cover both episodes in one because I was saying things to Casey and she was like, huh? And I was like, What's yeah, <laughs> when Winona throws Doc against the wall at Shorty's and is like, why did you pinch my baby sister? And, you know, like it hadn't happened yet in whatever we were talking about. And so I was like, uh oh, I have to fix. I have to get us back to where we need to be. So we had to cover two episodes. Ooh, these are doozies. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of the fun. And hopefully for you folks, too. And, and let us know if you're sending the contact methods is is that we all love to watch the show and we all dig in and do it and part of the fun certainly i know for me as a podcaster and i think for you too Anne, is getting to do something where we get to look at the episodes in just a slightly different way just for the, for the sake of the podcast to make sure we're knowledgeable or like you said sometimes to re-listen to previous stuff you've done to make sure you've got things covered it just keeps making it so much more fun each time because it it, it 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 will never be able to make it brand new again but we can make our view of it brand new by having a reason to kind of go into it and look at. It. And that this, it, there aren't many shows that hold up when you do that. There are very few that still hold up with that kind of a viewpoint taken. Um, and we are just so blessed to have it be a case with, with our. Just ha being able to watch it, there's a difference between just watching it by yourself in your living room and going, gosh, that's a great show. But watching it and then being able to get on a Zoom and then talk with somebody else who loves it as much as you do, like, that's fun. <laughs> I mean, that's my Super Bowl right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also the challenge of wanting to make sure that I don't miss something that you catch. <laughs> no, we've just gotten competitive. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's part of the other fun is when I catch something or see something or when you do is the I wonder if Anne caught that. Let's find out. Can't wait to record. But when I hear you, like, go, like I'm watching my notes as you're saying something, and then I, I hear you dipping into the topic that I'm going to do next, and it's like, <laughs> is he going to have it? He's going to have it? And then it's like, he's got it. 
like a bingo sheet. Check. Got it. Check. Yeah. Uh, as you can tell, folks, we're having a blast doing this. Let's have a blast and do it again next week. There we go. All right. Take care. Appreciate everybody listening. We hope you all have a great week. 